Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Wildcast. I'm joined once more by Tom and Joe. Last weekend was fun, wasn't it? Hmm. Yes, in for a number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really that's all, all I'm gonna say <laughs> that's about it for episode forty eight. <laughs> yeah, moving on. Um, yeah, great. Uh, in depth analysis as always. Uh Joe, how you doing? I'm all right. I'm just letting Tom give the people what they came for, you know. Turn up. Yeah, it was all right, I guess. And roll credits. We'll see you next time. Um yeah, I'm actually I, it looks like I'm going to save myself a pound for charity. As is Tom. Yeah, all right, fair enough. You, um, know, <laughs> you, you say that, we're then gonna gain we're both gaining a pound in the other group, so Oh no, I've already done that one. <laughs> yeah, the smugness is short lived on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom, let's go back to last weekend. Swindon, Sheffield, Saturday night. Performance good, result not what we wanted. Yeah, better I think than um the home game against Peterborough. I think against Peterborough, the issue we had was while you know we had maybe periods of possession, we didn't really do anything with it. And we kind of didn't really get any pressure on Jordan Mar. I feel like we did more so with Dimitri Zamostra. I thought we generally looked better in the offensive zone and we obviously, you know, it was better in that we scored some goals, which obviously didn't happen the previous week in the home game. So that was that that was good. I thought for the performance wasn't bad at all. Um, obviously, the result wasn't what we were looking for. And I think really that comes down to, um, you know, one specific area of the game. You look at the penalty kill over the whole weekend, and we'll talk about Sunday as well, but over the whole weekend, it wasn't good enough. I can't remember exactly what our penalty kill numbers were on Saturday, but it was three power play goals for the Steel Dogs and one shorthanded for their four goals. So I think it shows... Exactly where the special teams kind of let us down to a point. Um, let, I was just going to say, let's give Joe thirty seconds on that. Yeah, one. Sure, we'll yeah. um, while he pulls up game sheets, but yeah, no, I think when you're, you can see three power play goals and the other goal, you can see this short-handed. We beat we beat them five on five, but unfortunately, you don't play the entire game five on five, and if you're not able to kill off a penalty, if you're not able to prevent a shorthanded goal and to be fair it was an unlucky shorthanded goal but if you're not able to prevent a shorthanded goal then you're going to you know, put yourself on the back foot Joe uh, four for seven on the penalty kill yeah so you've conceded you've conceded on basically almost half of your you know half of the penalties you give away that's not good enough at any time of the season let alone in the playoffs and I'll be honest I thought one of the power play goals we conceded was a bit unlucky the second one um it comes down off the bar and there's a guy there and gets a rebound. The other two were just a bit too easy for Sheffield. You know, guys wide open and I don't really know what Rennie's got to, men to do in that situation when you've got, I think, the first one was Jason Hewitt and the game winner was Jonathan Kirk and you've left them just wide open. I, really, I don't really know what you're meant to do and, yeah, that's obviously not, not, kind of, not the kind of special teams that's going to get you, you know, very far, particularly in playoff hockey. No, and we've always said that special teams will win and lose your games. And like you said, Saturday, I think that's that's kind of what lost it for us. Um, I thought five on five, I thought we competed really well. I thought we came back well. Um, I thought yeah. we battled hard to come back. Um, we showed the right character to do so. And then just 
gut wrenching to to kind of lose it as we did in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, and it's kind of frustrating because obviously we got the equaliser um, with kind of I think it was about four minutes to go. It was about four and a bit minutes to go, I think. Four minutes to go. Fifty nine. Three fifty nine. Um, so literally four minutes to go, and we probably had two or three chances in the immediate kind of minute, two minutes that followed. You know, we had a couple of kind of half breakaways and an almost turnover where I think Emil poked the puck away and then didn't quite have enough speed to get onto onto it. And the Bonner got back. There was one where I think Aaron got through and Zimostra made a good save. And then you take a penalty and you haven't been able to kill penalties all night and you kind of just feel like, oh, well, and the kind of, I sat there and you almost feel like you know where it was going. And unfortunately... I think that was your exact message to me as well. Wits, someone on the blinds of Wits takes the penalty, and it's just like, oh, this is kind of inevitable. Yeah, it was. It was. It did feel like because just the way that we battled that whole third period to get back in the game, and then you take a penalty right at the death in the period, and you think, well, if you can kill it off, you still got a chance to win it in overtime. You know, that that penalty was going to last the rest of regulation and the beginning of overtime. But if you can kill off the penalty, you still give yourself a chance. But yeah, it just felt like the way that dog's power play had been dominating us, we were going to be in trouble. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. I won't use his exact wording in the message he sent me at the time of that last <laughs> penalty, but um, let's just say Tom didn't feel like it was a playoff penalty call. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's... you can't. I'm not going to blame the referee for us losing. At the end of the day, we could have killed off the penalty. Like, that's, you know we still had the opportunity to not concede on that power play, but I thought on the balance of what was called, what wasn't called, maybe it was a bit of a soft one. I think the general consensus around where I was, was it was perhaps a bit of a soft penalty call, but you still got to kill those off. You can't just say, oh, it was a bad call and give up. Um, so yeah, it, I think it was an unfortunate ending to the game. I think, we probably deserved at least a point out of the game, but you know, we had arguably Peter Bill sit there and say, Well, you got lucky with a last minute goal against us last week. So yeah, you kind of you win some and you lose some, quite literally, with when it comes down to luck like that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think from where I was stood, I to me it's one of those uh, you can't blame the referees, you, you lose the game because you don't play well enough. You don't lose the game because of calls and stuff like that. You, you've got to roll with those punches. I, in my honest opinion, there were penalties that weren't called, which were probably more of penalties than that one. And that that's how I saw it. Yeah, and like I say, it still comes down to the fact that if you can see, if you take penalties, you, you've got to do better on the penalty kill. Yeah, if you, do, if you take penalties and don't kill them, you're not going to win games. Exactly, if you take a penalty in the last minute, then... You've got to you've got to kill it off because you're not going to have to give yourself a chance to come back, and that's exactly what happened. And to be fair, and to be fair, it was an excellent finish from Jonathan Kirk um, on the winner. But we shouldn't necessarily. I, it's disappointing that after all the hard hard work we did, we put ourselves in that position where we gave Sheffield the opportunity to win it at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else from Saturday? I suppose the one thing we could talk about is uh, Eddie Bebris. Yeah, um, yeah. I, left a lot of blood on the ice <laughs> like yep, yeah as I, was, as I was explaining to joe before uh, before we started recording tonight um i've not seen that much blood on an ice pad in a very long time yeah yeah he um yeah he got a high stick from matt bissonette and 
he really got eye sick from that business. There was a lot of blood, and yeah, he was. It was very fortunate, and I think we were quite all fairly surprised to see him come back into the game during the third period. And obviously, one of those where it is an accident, and it's one of the examples that you know of that kind of high sticking rule where that would have been once upon a time very much an ejection. Whereas now, obviously the referees are able to appreciate the fact that, you know, it obviously, it was an accidental high stick. Um, it's caught him in a bad spot, but yeah, it was an accident. And, you know, if the, if the as much as it would have been, and, and I, as much as it would have been nice to see Matt Bissonnette get thrown out because he's such a good player and it would have made our job coming back a lot easier to not have him on the, um, on the ice for ha- almost half a game. If the, you know, if the boot was on the other foot, and one of our guys had been thrown out, you'd be frustrated. So, yeah, I think it's it, we, it's another example of why that rule is better for the game. Yeah, and I think, like I said again to Joe, for every one incident like Eddie, you've got 15 where there is the smallest cut, yeah. graze almost, and guys are getting chucked out of games and missing time when they just don't need to. Yeah, I feel like when it comes to kind of penalties and stuff, the action should be what's being penalised more than the outcome. Like, if you do something intentional and it causes an injury, then yeah, by all means, you should get thrown out. More on that later. Yeah, exactly. More on that one later. But yeah, if you accidentally catch someone going for a stick lift, then, you know, I don't think players want to see guys getting chucked out for that. So No. Uh, Joe, anything else before we get to talk about Sunday? No. Not really. Um, The main point I've got is more for after we talk about Sunday anyway. It's not good. Sorry. Sounds like a plan. Okay. Sunday evening, because there was some kind of university recreational tournament going on at Ice Sheffield all weekend, uh, and they couldn't move the fixtures around. Some of those that may have been in the rink at the time did manage to catch the final of that, which was quite entertaining. Yeah, I wasn't there, but I've heard about the um, shootout goal. There was an amazing shootout moment where, I, I, to be honest, I have no idea who the teams were, so please uh, forgive my ignorance. Uh, the forward picks the puck up, goes down, as you'd expect on a penalty shoot shootout. Uh, the goalie comes about nine foot out of his crease, starts waving around as much as you can can, uh, skates backwards, gets to the edge of his crease and completely stacks it. Um, which then allows the forward the entire net to aim for as he's trying to get back up. Um, safe to say, the, I know that most of the Cats players were stood ringside watching. They uh, they did enjoy that one, and yeah, it was certainly an entertaining couple of moments. And I'm sure you didn't laugh. No, none of us did. Much. No. I wasn't. I wasn't in the rink at the time. Unfortunately, I I was in. I was talking to people outside the ring, so I, I wasn't even aware that the shootout was going on. Otherwise, I think I'd have popped in as well to have a look. But no, yeah. it was hilarious. And I'm also going to say this one, which I don't think Tom might know. I know Joe probably doesn't. Um, if he's listening, I'm going to propose a 50p for Ollie Endicott because your two touch, my friend, was good enough to completely smash me in the face, as he's well aware. Glasses everywhere. Um, yeah, so cheers, Ollie. Nice. Oh, if right, that's another one we can charge to Aaron, isn't it? That's a pound on the. No, podcast. I'm not. I'm charging that straight to Ollie because it was an absolute brutal left volley. Uh, as I was stood there talking to Bert, and the ball came smacking me on the nose. Tom, I wouldn't. I would say this: it's a fifty piece Ollie's to you know finishing like Jack Cole back into Ben's face, 
think it also should be 50p for Ben for being the the ball. Yeah, no, I'll accept that. But anyway, let's let's talk about the game, Tom. Uh, another one that just didn't not this one just it, we were outplayed, outplayed, yeah. outworked and beaten. Yeah, it's another one that it got away. It got away from us. Um, first, you, you, we got off to a slow start. You can see two scruffy goals in the first five minutes. Then the power play comes good and we get the goal from Ballant, which was an excellent finish. Um, proper you know, one-timer. And then you kind of get the, you get the goal early in the second from Emil, another one-time blast, and you're back in that game. In the second period, we did create quite a lot of chances. We probably... We were probably the better team in the second period, and obviously, um, everyone's favorite, everyone's favorite Dimmy God, you know, made, not he was not my favorite, Dimmy not God. our favorite on that night, but yeah. I'm, again, I'm going to get, throw 50p here in myself, but isn't it nice of the Dimmy God to rise on Easter Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he made he kept he kept the dogs in it in that second period, and he made. I mean, in that period, he made 19 saves. Yeah, and in the second and in the third, he made two really big saves as well, which kind of turned the game. He made one where Ballon found himself open in front and couldn't and couldn't beat him on the deke, and then another one where the Cats made a ridiculous kind of tic tac toe move, which ended up with Floyd Taylor having almost an open net to end that, and somehow a pad came out and blocked the shot. And kind of then, I think as the third period went on. Yeah, as you say, we got a bit outworked, we got a bit outplayed, and it felt like we kind of ran out of ideas, we ran out of legs. And again, the, the penalty, the first penalty we take all night, Puck ends up in the net from Alex Graham. And yeah, after that, we just didn't feel like we were, didn't feel like we were ever going to get back into it from there. And it kind of got away from us at the end, which is a shame, but. Yep, and I'm going to say it, that Alex Graham goal was an absolute laser beam. Oh, it was a, it was a super good shot. Like you can't fault any, you can't fault Rennie for that shot. Again, gave the guy way too much time and space to be taking the shot from that angle. But um, obviously, it's hard when you're killing. You've got to try and keep in your shape. But yeah, it's um, yeah, with Alex Graham, you can't give him that much room to shoot the puck. And to be fair, he absolutely picked his spot and ripped it. But yeah, it's just it's one of those nights, and it is you know. It's frustrating. Um, like it, it has like the whole the whole first two weeks of the playoffs, and we'll discuss the permutations, I'm sure, before we move off off of our group. But we're not out of the playoffs. But it feels like just the first two weekends of the playoffs have just been flat. Really, they've fallen. It's not. It's not clicked. And we've now we're very much on the back foot, which is a shame. But it's also one of those things that if you if you don't if you don't play well and you don't, you, there has been an element of bad luck at times, but if you don't play well in the playoffs, you're going to struggle because teams are going to be up for it. And that's not to say the Cats aren't up for it. It's just at the moment, it's not clicking and it hasn't clicked for a little while. And it's hard to just pick yourself up and get going again straight for the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, thoughts on the game sheet from Sunday? Um, no, nothing. You guys obviously summed up. We've, um, kind of rocked up and we've been taken apart, which is something which seems to have been a, kind of a tradition in Sheffield almost this year. Um, but it goes back to what you guys were saying about the penalty kill. Um, the whole weekend, it was four for eight, 50%. And the, 
Penalty kill over the last two months hasn't exactly been asleep more than it has been comatose. Um, since the start of March, the Wildcats penalty kill is 66%. 33 out of 50. 17 power player goals have gone in in the last eight weeks. With it wasn't really- no real... Well, it's no real sort of reasoning for it. Why? Really, it's just sort of... It seems to have collapsed at the exact wrong part in time. Yeah. You can't... I, I guess, potentially, teams have looked at... have kind of been able to analyse our penalty kill and worked out a strategy that we haven't been able to find a solution to. And you can't just radically change your penalty kill structure overnight. But hope maybe that's something that, you know, as people always say on here, we're not coaches, but maybe the kind of strategy is something that Aaron will look at over the summer and kind of come back with something a bit different for next year because obviously as you say having a 66% penalty kill for a two month period isn't going to um yeah you're gonna this is no secret it's no um surprise as to why we've not been winning as many hockey games in that spell as we were earlier on in the year no it's tricky and like you said there's no real reason for it I think confidence plays a part it's that kind of downward spiral of take a penalty for whatever reason, a really good what you know, if you have that good kill, the next one there's something soft in it. Confidence drops, percentages drop, and results then drop. It's that tricky downward spiral that you've just got to find a way to get out of. And like I said, for every great kill the cats do, it kind of feels like there's only one or two away from, from shipping a goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I think I don't think I can really add anything to that. And I would the one thing I would say is obviously traditionally in recent years our penalty kill has been quite good. Um, or more so than this year anyway. And the personnel hasn't really changed on the penalty kill. I think potentially it's just a case of needing to go away and kind of looking at some different ideas and maybe but yeah, like I say, Alan, I'm not gonna none of us are coaches and I'm sure Aaron himself knows, you know, probably more than we do what's gone wrong. And it may just be a case that it's something that you can't, that isn't an easy fix straight away and might need an off season to work on. And obviously, of course, you know, full credit to the Steel Dogs over the two games they've turned up and they've absolutely handed us our backside as we've kind of alluded to. Yeah, obviously hit for how bad we were on special teams. They were four for eight on the power play this weekend. And that's no mean feat either. You obviously have having players like Alex Graham, Jason Hewitt, Matt Bissonnette just tore us apart for the entire weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, we know and we know Sheffield are dangerous and we know they've got really, really good players throughout that lineup. So yeah, they're, they're the team that turned out they were clinical and they, you know, come away with the points. And you'd imagine, although, you know, things aren't set in stone and there's still room for error, but you'd imagine they'll do enough to get themselves to Coventry um, and probably deservedly so. Yeah, I was just about to say, actually, if they could uh, if they could win both games next weekend, that'd be really appreciated. <laughs> yes, yes. But we'll come to those permutations shortly. Um I'm going to say, Joe, is there anything else before you want to take us through where everyone else is in the, the two playoff groups? Nope. I think we've kind of covered it all, really. It just wasn't a good weekend. Yeah. Simple as that. Yep. So, Group A, where are we at? How's it looking? Who's got well, 
Group A, we'll do that one in a second because there's another point in Group A. Let's finish Group B first with the other two-legged tie of that weekend. Basically, so Bison 3, the Peterborough Phantom 6 on the Saturday night. The Phantoms walk down to South Hampshire. They pick up the easy two points, I would say, with three goals in the second period. Two on the power play, one from Glenn Billing, one from Jarvis Hunt. Other goals coming from Jasper Foster, Alice Padalek, Duncan Spears and Scott Robson as the Bison just do what... Well, sorry, the Phantoms do what the Phantoms do. They rock up, they play defensive hockey, they catch you on the break, they bore you to death, and they win. Lol. Uh, Jordan Lorde gets yanked for the Bison after half an hour. Five goals on 21 shots, 16 saves, 761 save percentage. Hi, Tom. Yeah, can I I'll finish the game and then I just want to make a point. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, Alex Metton comes in, 16 saves in relief to try and save face, but obviously the damage is done when you give up five inside half an hour. Jordan Mark, three goals on 22 shots. Now we'll go live to Tom Graham. Yeah. While this loads. Yeah, this is just a just point I want to make about this game, and I know this is being mentioned by Basinstoke fans as well, um, including Anthony Russell from Balance on the Wall. Why start Jordan Lorday in the playoffs after Alex Metham has had a sensational weekend the weekend before. Now, Jordan Lilde is a good netminder, don't get me wrong, but Alex Metham has made something like 80-something saves on 90 shots or something ridiculous the week before and had a 95% save percentage. Surely come playoff time, you run your hot hand in goal and, yeah, as good as Lorde is, you've got to stick with Metham and it just feels like Ashley Tate and Tony Redmond have outcoached themselves there. Yeah, it's overthinking. It's all it is. It's... But we say that, they go back to the other side of things and put Metam in from the start on Sunday, and look what happens. It's a 3-1 win in Peterborough, a place that not many teams went and won this year, apart from us last week. 3.9 for Ashley Tate, two goals, one assist, uh, two power play goals in the empty net in the end. The Bison coming from behind a 1-0 down after 38 minutes, goal from Pettis stepping for the Phantoms before the goals from Tate and one surprise surprise again from Alex Roberts popping up with the yet another power play goal in the year as they pick up the 3-1 win Alex Metton proving that he really should have started the Saturday night racking up 49 saves and a 980 save percentage on the night uh, Group B uh, look away now Swindon fans it's not good it is the Steel Dogs out on top on six points the Phantoms are in second on four the Bison third on four the Bison on two Phantoms obviously are second because they hold the tiebreaker on goals scored. This is where things like giving up empty net goals could get important. Uh, so as Ben kind of alluded to, the permutations are simple. The Wildcats do make it through to Coventry, have to win both games against the Bison this weekend. Vice versa, the, way, the ways that Wildcats cannot get through is they drop a point, just one point is enough to see them get knocked out, or the Phantoms win against Sheffield on Friday. So by the time you've listened to this, this podcast could already be irrelevant, which is, you know, kind of new for us. Yeah. Um, group B, lads, while I get Group A to load. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, I think you've got to say that Sheffield are obviously big favourites to get through the group. <laughs> um, at this point, I don't see a scenario where they... I personally don't see a scenario where they don't get through. So apologies, any Steel Dogs fans out there. I have just jinxed you, and we are 100% not seeing you in Coventry, based on my usual on my usual predictions. Um, to be fair, that's been all of us this year. I mean the unlike I mean the unlikely scenario of the Wildcats getting through. There are worse there are worse unlikely scenarios than Peterborough having to lose to Sheffield twice and us having to beat Basin so twice. However, 
the way we're playing, Basingstoke would fancy their chances of getting at least splitting the series against us. Equally, you're going to have a scenario where Sheffield win on Friday. They're through, and they're, I believe, top of the group if they win on Friday as well, pretty much, or almost yes. locked in as top of the group. No, Friday. they are they are top of the group if they so, win. On Sunday, they're not exactly going to have anything to play for. And we've all seen, you know, Raiders fans look away. We've all seen what happened when the Bison didn't have anything to play for the last game of the season against the Bees and fell behind and just went further and further behind. So you're relying on a Steel Dogs team to then go out and try and win in Peterborough, who would have something to really play for, i.e. a spot at Coventry, because they would need the two points. So I think, to be honest, it's an unlikely scenario and... We've obviously put ourselves in this position by letting the group get out of our hands. But it's not, it's not in, as saying this on a Wednesday afternoon. And as we say, if Peterborough were to go and win in Sheffield on Friday, it would be irrelevant anyway. But it's not the most impossible scenario that we've faced this season in terms of qualifying. I mean, again, nothing is, I don't need to say this, nothing is played on paper. But at the end of the day, what you're asking for is a team that finished second to get a four-point weekend and a team that finished third to get a four-point weekend. Problem is, there's a hell of a lot that's changed since that finish. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, I'm not saying the Steel Dogs don't do a professional job in Peterborough, but they're understandably probably not going to be that interested about what happens on Sunday beyond making sure they don't get any injuries or suspensions that would rule them out of Coventry. Dimitri Zamozdra after what happened previously in your last visit to Coventry. Do not get suspended in the second leg of the semi-final. <laughs> um, Again, you said about the whole thing of you know, you know, that's not saying, that's well. not, and that's not me saying that Steel Dogs wouldn't go and do be do a professional job in Peterborough, but Peterborough would be the team there on home ice with a good home record and a hell of a lot more on the line. You, I, I, I don't see us. I don't. I don't see the Wildcats making it to Coventry personally. However. You know, at the very least, if if Sheffield if Sheffield win on Friday, you've got to try and take it to Sunday and see what happens. You've got to try and get that win in Basingstoke. It's as simple as that. I, I was just going to say this. We've said it already this in the show, and our track record for this year hasn't exactly been great. You know, predicting you know what's going to happen at a weekend, and we've almost been the kiss of death. So this is a joke that is again basically aimed at two of our listeners because I know they'll appreciate it. There is a, a wrestler in AEW called Danhausen who is known for cursing people. So I'm going to go with the reverse option for it and say that the Bison are going to get a four-point weekend and the Phantoms are going to get a four-point weekend, knowing full well that they are now cursed. <laughs> it's the it's the best thing I can try right now because if I say the other thing, it's never going to happen. Clutching at straws, but like, I'm furious. Equally, before we move to Group A, I mean, we talk about Peter, but we talk about Jeff, we talk about us. I mean, Basingstoke have a have an awful lot on the line because they're now in a position where a four-point weekend for them against us, even a three-point or two-point or three-point weekend against us potentially te- takes them to Coventry. So they have a lot of riding on this. But am I also right in thinking they're relying on Sheffield? They're relying on Sheffield to get something, but not as much as we are. I mean, yeah. I think a split series for Sheffield could be enough or even just taking a point off the Phantoms could be enough for them if they were to get four points. Yeah. So he says that knowing full well, I'm not prepared for it. So now I need to check what happened the week before again. Uh, no, the Bison do need four points. I yeah, thought the Bison, they, they do not have the tiebreak on Sheffield or Peterborough. But if they finish ahead of if they finish ahead of Sheffield or Peterborough on points, 
Yeah, no, that if, yeah. that's the thing. But yeah. they Bison need a four point weekend and one of and a split series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Group A. Yes, Group A. Right. Well, I'll leave the talkative game for last, shall I? What could there possibly be that happened on Sunday? Who knows? Saturday night, Leeds Knights 4, the Bees 5, and this was the night when 8 became 7. Uh, the Bees win in overtime thanks to a goal from Alan Lack at 63-49, giving the Bees the win in what is quite possibly the most car crash 30 seconds of National League hockey you will see this year. There is a tweet from Phil Harrison of the Yorkshire Post where it literally goes, B shot one end, goes right down the other end. Adam Gross makes a big save. Massive clearance up to Adam Lack, who, let's face it, absolutely pantses Sam Gospel to get the game winner. It's amazing, and it's brilliant, and it's why you should like hockey. Other goals on the night for the Bees, two for Adam Rossbottom, one for Yuha Lindgren, and one for Ryan Webb. Uh, for the Knights, goals from Kieran Brown, Matt Davis, Cole Shudra, and Sam Zajac. Again, just a really fun night by the looks of it. Uh, two short-handed goals for the night. Sam Gospel, five goals on 28 shots. Adam Goss, four goals on 51. Just carnage. Don't look at the game sheet for that one because they forgot to set it that it could be an overtime, so they had to put the goal timed at 3.49. Fun for all of you nerds out there. I may have had a similar issue with our game in South One on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, also in Group A, the MK Lightning 5, the Telford Tigers 2. Hands up if you saw this one coming before the weekend. No, either of you? Good, I'd have accused you both of lying. Uh, the Lightning pick up what turned out to be an easy win thanks to goals from Bobby Chamberlain, two from Halden Barnes-Garner, Adam Leisham and Sean Norris. Uh, the game winner coming from Barnes-Garner at 39-31. at As the Lightning just do a job that they really could have done with, you know, two months ago in the Cup semi-final. But hey-ho, better late than never. Um, Matt Spittle, again, proves that he's getting hot at the right time. 24 saves, a 9.23 save percentage. Brad Day posts a 900 save percentage and still ends up with a loss, saving 45 shots. That could have been a lot uglier if it weren't for Brad Day, looking at some of the highlights. Um, But yeah, credit to the lightning. They're getting hot at the right time. On the Sunday, Telford Tigers 5, the Leeds Knights 4. The Knights elimination is officially confirmed as they go down in Telford thanks to a game-winning goal from Corey Goodison. Hattrick on the night for Finley House. He's now the top goal scorer in the playoffs so far with at least two more games to go and potentially, you know, two more after that. Uh, the other goal on the night scored by Jason Silverthorne for the Tigers as the Knights get goals from Kieran Brown, Jamie Chilcott, Matt Davis and Cole Shudra. Gospel with 42 saves and an 893 save percentage. Brad Day posting 891 as he gives the Tigers a chance going into next weekend. Now, the big talking point of Sunday comes in Slough. First off, let's just say congratulations to the Bees for pulling off a four-point weekend after literally scraping in at the 11th hour to the playoffs. They beat the Lightning 2-1 in a penalty shootout with a game-tying goal with four minutes to go from Will Stead, Dominic Goodbye, and Josh Martin with the assist on that one after the Lightning took lead after half an hour through Mikey Power. The big talking point of the night is a high-stick call, 42 seconds from the end of overtime, from James Galazzi on Sean Norris, which has caused uproar on the internet, no matter which side of the argument you are on. 
the play is chipped down low into the in, into the lightning zone. Norris gives Galazzi a little nudge. Galazzi turns around, swings his stick rather violently, makes contact with Norris, and Norris goes down, stays down. I believe there was about a 10-minute delay while they got Norris off the ice stretchered. Norris spent the night in hostel before being released on Sunday. The last update we had at the time of recording was that he was okay in himself and just spending time with his mum. But all best wishes to not Sean Norris, regardless of what it is. I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a minute because, you know, why would we? Uh, Matt Smith again somehow ends up on a losing side with a 967 save percentage this time, 30 saves. Again, I would make the argument that no player knows that route better than Matt Smith. Uh, Adam Goss pulls off another worldly performance for him. 35 saves and 9.72, which means Group A going into the last weekend. The Milton Keynes Lightning are on seven points. The Telford Tigers are on six. The Bees are on four. The Leeds Knights are going home with the one point. The Bees need to pull off, well, another four-point weekend. Let's face it, they need another miracle. They will be at home to Leeds on the Sunday after they travelled to Milton Keynes on the Friday at the time of recording, we do not know if James Galazzi is banned for that Friday game. That Friday game could either A, have a lot of people buying tickets on the door to see what happens, or B, a lot of people buying a stream to see what happens. That could get nasty. Boys! Yeah. Uh, what just happened? So, before we talk about the um, Galazzi-Norris incident, I just want just to flag the Bees. So, this is a Bees team that made the playoffs, if you take out the Raiders' three-point deduction, would only have made the playoffs based on their head-to-head against the Raiders. They would have been level on points with the ninth-place team and made it in on head-to-head. If they win in Milton Keynes on Friday night, and that is a big if, that is going to be a tough ask them to go to that rink and win it on the big ice. It's diff- very different to winning it in Slough in a you know much smaller ice pad. They haven't. They would give themselves a legitimate shot playing a Leeds team with nothing to play for at home on the Sunday of making it to Coventry as the eighth place team that scraped into the playoffs, and that would be up there with the biggest shocks in kind of national EPL playoff history. Probably going back to when well, when the Wildcats made Coventry as an eighth place team back in 09-10. You would have to say like that would be an absolute turn up for the books, and it's a big ask, and there's a lot of it would take a lot of things to go their way in the same same way as other teams need a lot of things to go in their way. But yeah, if they can get that win on um, if they get the win on Friday night, then Sunday is going to be absolutely box office in Slough. Because potentially at that point, a win and potentially one of the Tigers and the Lightning are going home. Well, no, if the bees, if the bees win on the Friday and they win on the Sunday, the bees are in. It well, will exactly. depend on that. Like, yeah. Yeah, the bees are in, like the, light, the lightning of the tigers, depending who wins that Sunday game in Telf- in Telford. One of them are going home, and no one would have been able to call the bees eliminating either Telford or MK going into this, or Leeds for that matter, but certainly Telford or MK. No, that was absolutely awesome weekend for the bees, and I think I read somewhere, and again, find me if I'm wrong, I think I read somewhere that Will Stead was playing D all weekend for them as well. Just to kind of... I, I don't know. I haven't seen that anywhere. Again, we've, we've said, we've said it all... I'll find it. We've said it all, all, all season that Adam Goss has either kind of been hot or 
not. There's not been a lot of in between, but he seems to have found one of these kind of hot streaks just in time for the playoffs. He um, needs one more weekend of them. One more weekend of that, and they're going to the um, they're going to the final four. And it's still just looking for Will's Ted related stuff before we move on. I to am. The- yeah, I was just. I'm sure I saw a tweet from uh, from Adam Goss, which basically said that, but I can't find it. Yeah. Um, I mean, fair play if he was. Um, Galaxy, then who wants to lead on this? One of you two go first. <laughs> yeah, well, Ben. Well, Ben looks for a tweet. Yeah, basically. Who's taking the... Go on. Go on, Tom. Take the lead. You like controversial topics. Yeah, I suppose. Um, Yeah, I mean... Obviously, the footage is limited, but it doesn't look good. It really doesn't look good. Um, Whether it's accidental, intentional, I don't know, but James Galazzi... James Galazzi is either not in control of his stick and is reckless, or he is in t- control of his stick and he's intentionally trying to, you know, smash an opponent over the head with the stick. Obviously, one of those is worse than the other, but neither of them are good. I'd like to give any hockey player the benefit of the doubt that they wouldn't intentionally try to, you know, swing a stick at, a, at the head of an, another hockey player. I don't know. I said, uh, I think whether it's whether it's intentional or not depends on your side of the argument. I, 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 I fear, I fear it's the latter. I hope it's the former, and he's just being reckless. But even then, that's still not good. And you'd have to, you'd have to think there's going to be some sort of suspension. You'd hope there's some sort of suspension. Um, if nothing else, again, this goes back to what we said earlier with um, with me, Matt. Matt, this and that one. Um, obviously, you don't want players to be suspended for accidental high sticks. You do want them to be suspended when they're being reckless or intentional. And that was reckless. At, at, at best, that was reckless. At worst, it was more than reckless. So before I say anything, and maybe Joe too, you say he should be suspended. How long? How long would you? You're, if you're the man in charge, you've seen that video. What do you do? It's it's tricky because obviously there isn't really a comparison in the National League this year because there haven't been a ton of suspensions. Where they have been, they've kind of just stuck with the rule book. I don't know what the baseline for a high stick or a slash is. I'm gonna say two games probably. Four games. I mean, I think you I, I would say four or five games wouldn't be unfair if that was reckless. I mean, if you think he's intentionally injuring, I think you've got to look at seven or eight games and you've got to roll it into next season and kind of the kind of first month of next season because I think if you if you look at that video and you're more of an expert than me and you say that's a player intentionally swinging a stick down on the head of another opponent of an opponent, you've got to you've got to throw the book at him a bit. I don't think I'm not going to go and you know we've had the whole stuff with Blackburn this year and guys being banned for four years or something and then having the suspension being recanted to the oh the end of the season we don't want to be in that situation where you completely go over the top but i think multi-game suspension potentially pushing into double digits should that be you know considered intentional rather than just reckless but i think you've got to go for a baseline four if it's if it's a reckless one not just because the guy got injured but 
because it's just stupid. I You've got to be controlling your stick as a player. Joe, what were your thoughts? Because I think I mean, from a conversation you and me had before we recorded, I think you and me think quite similar. Well, I mean, firstly, I'm, I'm disappointed that Tom has somewhat learnt from his previous mistakes and has been offering a more restrained viewpoint here rather than his usual pyrotechnics that he gives I us. Can, I, consider it it I consider it personal growth. Yep. We're proud of you, we really are. Um, yeah, there's obviously... It, there's two camps that have kind of formed over this over the last few days since it's happened. There's the side which has sort of come with the reasoned intent of, you know, let's be generous and say he accidentally caught him in the head. It's still, as Tom said, it's still reckless. It's still endangering a player's safety. And then there is the side which has just gone with the full rose-tinted spectacles, like proper see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil nonsense, and said that, no, no, nothing happened. You know, Sean Norris did it to himself. It's like... Which is just, it's just wrong. So, I mean, anyone who's seen the video can make their own mind up on this. And I'd like to think we're somewhat reasonable in giving people the benefit of the doubt on this. But for me, there really isn't one. As Tom said, it's reckless. Be it if it's a case of he's tried to turn around and slash the stick out of his hand or do whatever, he still caught him in the head. Like that has to be a thing. It has to be punished for that. And again, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he didn't mean to try and take Sean Norris's head off like he was in Game of Thrones. I am willing to say, though, that he has caught him in the head. And Sean Norris does have a history with concussions and head injuries going back to his days with the Slough Jets five years ago now. He's always going to have that kind of worry whenever he does get hit in the head that something bad could happen. We've all seen it. We saw it with Matt Selby for the Wildcats. We've seen it with a few other players over the more recent years of concussion issues ending their career early. But to say that Galazzi hasn't made contact, I think was one of the things I saw on the hockey forum. Like He didn't actually make contact with Norris's head despite the fact that you can watch the video and clearly see the stick bounce off his helmet is what annoyed me the most. It's the people that have tried to sort of say, it's like, oh, well, no, he didn't do it. It didn't touch him. It's all a dive. It's all faking. It's like, no, he hasn't. You can clearly see it. Yes, it's one, only one angle. But knowing the beast set up the way they do, they do have that behind goal camera that would have caught everything. And let's not forget, the call on the ice at the time was a two-minute high stick penalty that was called by the referee back at centre ice. They've seen it from a mile away. Whether it's Andrew Jarvie or Andre Corsaks, they've seen enough on that call to realise a penalty needs to happen at that time. Yes, maybe they haven't been harsh enough considering what happened afterwards, but they've still seen it. I think Galaxy does need to be banned Partly for causing the injury, partly for the reckless intent, and partly just for his own bloody safety at this point. There is enough going around on social media from Lightning fans and without doubt players who are going to be forming an orderly queue to get at him Friday night if he's not suspended. And Tom, Tom Ben says, obviously, it's the whole thing of where does it start? And you're talking suspensions. For me, if you're working it out, and I can show my working here, as I often do, is eight games. 
the the thinking behind that is it's for the high stick slashing like it's called a high stick personally it's a slash it's a proper lumberjack motion uh it's four games for that because it is bad you get an extra two because it has caused an injury and it is reckless i believe that is one of those like you can increase it for reckless intent as it were and then i think looking at galaxy's penalty numbers it's possibly two on totting up as well that gets you to eight. It's enough to end the season. It's up to him what he does after that, if he wants to retire at his age, or if he wants to give one more year and sit out the first, what would it be, six games, four, if they make the playoff final. But it's just... And there was, there was another one as well. I think I saw it. It was... I'll have Again, I'll have to find the tweet, which is all fun games. This isn't the first time he's done it. The second time, the first time was against the Wildcats on Floyd Taylor. He did it. So we, people can sit here and say it's like, oh, but he's a nice guy and he doesn't, he's never done this before. He has, which technically makes him a repeat offender. I think, I don't think he was ever punished for the one against the Wildcats back in the day, but it was certainly, Aaron Nell was very, very happy to call him out in the press about it. I say happy, no, that's the wrong word, but he was very, very willing to. You know, openly call the player out in you know the press for what he done and say if it'd been one of his players, he'd be fight on a different team the next week. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely like it's very easy to say he's played six hundred games, he's never been, you know, suspended for something like this, but potentially he's not not done it before just because he hasn't been suspended for it. The thing is, as well, like we got to stop using that. It's like, oh, he's played 600 games, he's never done this before. It's like, no, this happened. Be it intentional, be it accidental. It's it happened. Is. And you have to punish him. Let's say, even if you do punish him as it being an accident, it's that kind of thing. It actually has happened all the time. How many times have we seen players, was it Yank Costle getting a high stick penalty and getting chucked out for a match? It's like, that happened one time. It still happens. Like, it doesn't matter if it's not his game. If it happens, it still happens. And he should be punished by the rule book as it is. I can't disagree. I I think I'm in the camp. I am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he did not intentionally bring to did not intend to bring that stick down on Sean Norris's helmet. Do I think that he intended to bring that stick down and aim for Sean's stick? I think it's much more believable. I think that's much more realistic. And at that point, that's still a penalty. And that's arguably still a ban because that's a serious swing of a hockey stick, let alone where the contact was. I, I don't. I don't think in that split second he'd have had time to deliberately aim for Sean's head. Uh, I think it. Those kind of, when you see those kind of plays, they tend to happen the shift after, rather than that second later but there was intent to there was intent to slash bottom line and there was contact those two add up to a suspension and again I'm in that field between between 5 to 10 I think is probably fair I think if he got less than 5 he's an insanely lucky hockey player. And if he gets more than 10, 
I can probably understand why you get very frustrated by that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting if DHA do nothing and he plays on Friday night. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that even though MK... Just on, that point, just on that point, if he gets nothing and he plays Friday, regardless if you agree with the decision or not, and I wouldn't, you have to protect him. Oh, as, yeah, as a bees, as a not bees. even just as a bees player, like the referees who are in charge of that game will have to protect him. Yeah, the referees call or not. Yeah, the referees will have to be aware of the situation and be prepared to deal with stuff very much out of the gate, you know. That's not saying you give them special preferential treatment, but you've got to be prepared to, you know, cut off, you know, potential attacks effectively. But equal, equally, I would say one thing, equally, I would say one thing, you'd like to think that the Lightning will be more focused on getting the points they need to get into the Coventry weekend than they would be killing an opponent. If the game gets out of hand late in the game, you know, the light, say MK are well ahead or the Bs are well ahead, that's when it becomes most dangerous if James Galazzi is on that is in that game. Um, and welcome to your referee for Friday night, Mr. Stephen Matthews. Well, because you kind of need someone of that ilk who's going to actually try and keep them under control. Yes. The worst yes. case scenario is you get two referees who are maybe a bit more junior in their run in this league, who are going to get taken advantage of. Yes. Yeah. You need you need someone who's going to really really firmly control that game if Galazzi plays because. Like I say, if, if MK were to go up four or five goals and be well ahead in that third period and not be too concerned about taking penalties, then someone, and there's a, there's a list of candidates on that MK team who would want to do something. I was, I was just about someone to... Someone is going to be cute. As Joe says, there'll be an orderly line forming up. Yeah, I was just about to say, I don't... I'm going to say this and not necessarily for a minute to come across that that's what Milton Keynes are going to do. If there's a team that have players that can scrap and a team that can probably afford an element of suspension, it's Milton Keynes. I don't think if you and I don't think if you're Doug Shepherd in that scenario, you can protect James Galazzi by just you know trying to line match because MK probably have guys on every line who'd be willing there, to. There, there is a way you could protect James Galazzi though. Benching. You don't play him. Oh, I mean, if he doesn't get suspended, I would 100% not play him in that game. But as a coach, there is an element of you need your players if you want to get four points. I also, I also don't think James Galazzi would want to sit again in this scenario. Like James Galazzi isn't necessarily going to fear the Milton Keynes Lightning. He's going to, you know, he'll, he'll have his head. He'll have to watch his back if he plays. But James Galazzi is the sort of player who's been around a long time. He, he knows the score and. He's going to be willing to stand up for himself if it comes to it, but yeah, he'd have to he'd have a target on his back. Everyone would be looking for number ten. I would much rather, and again, this guy is probably not the best you know example of it. I remember there was um, former Wildcat Nicky Watt had one of his videos out talking about his every fight he's had, which is actually it's a very interesting video if you go back and watch it. And there's one of them he said that he made a hit the game before and he knew he had to answer the call. If it's something like that. I don't have a problem with it as long as no, it's, you know, it's kind of like if it's pre-range, you know, get it out of the way, first puck drop. Just say one of them, come up, you know, all right, you're the guy. Let's do this the right way. None of this running around like idiots the entire night and attacking yeah. each other. Let's you know settle this first period puck drop. Let's go, kind of thing. I would, I would agree with that. And to be fair, the the type of player James Galazzi is, 
he would probably respect that more than anything. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to want to miss a playoff game just to you know protect him from you know nameless MK player who wants him. But I mean, equally, there was I remember one years ago where there was an incident in Swindon. We had ironically a doubleheader weekend against the Sheffield Steel Dogs, and there was an incident in Swindon on the Saturday night, and Andre Payet basically went on social media on the Saturday evening and or after the game and said, you know, we want I'm gonna fight someone from the Wildcats. Um, I think it might be Ryan Watt. And Ryan Aldridge the next night stepped up and took the beating for the team and the Cats went on to win the game. But it took the sting out of everything because Payet got his, you know, pound of flesh and yeah. It also, happened. it also happened the other obvious famous one, I guess, is the Grant McPherson Andre Payette Coventry incident. Oh, exactly. Uh, the you know the the drunken MK player throws the pint over Andre, and I think about five, within five minutes he kind of knew first game next season it was going to happen, and and it did. And I think at that point it was, uh, you know, everything was dropped and forgotten about. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. That's probably that incident kind of covered until we we're we're, uh, we're blue in the teeth. But I believe there's an element of fines from the from the group from Group A. I'm throwing it out there because I know I'm going to get fined next week. So yeah, um, me yeah. me and Tom eat one pound in fines each because we foolishly picked Sam Gospel to help the Leeds Knights to the playoffs. Um, that's not gone well. Ben, that that's not gone well, Ben. Your time will come next week. We I was going to say I can. Easy. Bar, barring a miracle, I can't be smug for very long, so I'm not really going to. No. I do, but equally, then, there's the potential that we all take a fine because there's the Basin said Bison get through, then we were all wrong. So potentially, it won't just be Ben, you know, eating the humble pie in that one. So Proof that we know absolutely nothing about hockey. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. I'm, I mean, an absolute worst case scenario for all of us in terms of fines is if the bees get through because that, the the bees and the bison get through because in that scenario we've all picked the two teams One and team. none of us will have gone through. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we should have uh, we should have pre-planned this and kind of covered all angles between the three. Yeah, of them. we didn't. So, but anyway, no. um, that's where we are going into the last weekend. But I guess the other big talking point of this week was. Uh, Team GB have dropped their roster. Well, I feel like there's some Wildcats news we haven't discussed on the podcast yet. Oh, yeah. That we should probably talk about and then talk about GB. That's true, actually. How did I forget that? Yeah, considering <laughs> you're the one who wrote it. I was going to say, you probably wrote the press release, didn't you? Oh, I, I, I wrote the press release and, and everything about it, but of course... Well, you were right, but it didn't last long for you to not be no, fine. Exactly. Very, very true. But of course, yes. Thomas Malazinski two-year contract, back with the Wildcats. A popular move amongst the Cats fans, Tom. Yeah, I think you'd... You, you, he's a, yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at the fan base, I would definitely say it's been a popular re-signing. I mean, I'm, I'm pleased he's back. I think there's an element of risk of the second year of the deal, particularly. He's not getting any younger. His points have dropped off slightly, and obviously his games played have dropped off slightly this year, although some of that is COVID-related. Obviously, guys get injured. As long as you're confident that none of those injuries he's picked up this year are going to be kind of long-term recurring ones, which cause him problems next year, then that injury injury issue um, isn't, isn't a problem. 
yeah, I mean, I think he's still shown this year he's more than capable of being one of the best imports in the league. Um, he's put up perfectly, perfectly good numbers for an import. I think he's still around the top 10 in points per game. He hasn't played as many games as he would have in previous years, partially because of, like, you know, as I say, he, had, he missed, I think, four, four or five games because of COVID. He missed a number of games due to a couple of injuries he picked up over the year. So, hasn't played as much as we would have liked him to. But if he stays fit, he's still going to be a good import in this league. And obviously, there's the risk, and I know Joe is probably going to talk about it a lot more, about age regression. It's a risk. You don't know. But equally, age, there is an element that age is a number. You look at Jason Hewitt, um, Vladimir Luka. Alex Padalek. is the other one. I was going to say, certainly more Hewitt and Luka this year. Older guys can still put up numbers in this league if they stay fit because they don't lose their quality. They might lose their legs, but the brains don't go. And if you adapt your game... and to be fair, under Tony Hand. Yeah, exactly. If you adapt your game, and I think Mamash has, to be fair. I think when he, when he first came to Swindon, he was very much a goal scorer. Now he's kind of moved into a bit more of a two-way playmaking role. I think he, you can adapt your game to still be a perfectly productive import or perfectly productive player in your kind of mid to late 30s. So I'm not necessarily concerned that that's going to happen. I'm, there is an element of concern. I don't think it's nailed on that he's going to progress. He might, he might not. You just don't know. I do think the second year is an element of risk, but equally, if he were to completely fall off a cliff this year, there's probably mutual ways out of it. Yeah, he's a, I mean, he's a, he's a quality player on his day. He's, a quality, he's still a quality input in this league. And... When you look at the difficulty of signing that teams have had signing imports this year, there's almost an argument that it's better to take a risk on a potentially regressing older import that you know than going out and trying to sign a guy who's completely new to the league who may struggle. I mean, you know, there's been mixed mixed reviews on certain imports in the league. There's seen certainly very clear bad reviews on other new imports to the league, you know. You look at Bay, we've talked about Bay, we've talked about Bayesian a lot this year. You look at Philip Marsonek. Bayesian so decided it was better off not having a second import than keeping Philip Marsonek on their roster. That's how tricky it's been signing imports. Peter Stepanek didn't wasn't able to join Peterborough for six months because of you know having to get him a visa. So yeah, there's almost an element, there is an definitely an element that it right now signing new imports is a major risk. And potentially you're better off just sticking with what you know. And I think that's the view that the Cats have taken. I don't necessarily think it's a wrong view. Could be proven wrong if Malazinski's numbers were to completely plummet, but we're not going to know if that's going to happen until you know we get into next season or the season after. So yeah, I mean, I think certainly you look at it, certainly he's popular with the fans. Um he's 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 still, like I say, he's still a good player. No, I, I, I do agree. And I think. The other side of the coin is I think Thomas at this age will want that uh, security. I don't think he would have been looking for that one-year deal and find out what's happening. I think he is settled in Swindon. Obviously, when he came back, it was a three-year deal straight off the bat. Um, obviously, it's only two this year, but I do think he's going to want an element of security. He's got a young family who absolutely love it in Swindon, and he loves it in Swindon. Um, I don't think there was ever a realistic chance he would have signed a one-year deal but that's just my gut feeling knowing the situation kind of off the ice Joe your thoughts 
I mean, Tom hit the head there at the end where he was saying it's more of like a import signing for this because he's here. Like we all saw the chaos that Brexit and the new passport system caused last summer. So I think it's it's smart to get an import that's already here and you know you already have the visa full signed up than it is to go out and risk bringing in two fresh imports. At least now with one signed up, you can look to get another one if we didn't want to bring Svek back, which, I mean, why wouldn't you? The man was one of the top goal scorers in the league, but that's a chat for another day. Um, yeah, Tom's right. I think we'll see, you know, late 30s, you do look a little, little at ageing regression, obviously. Things obviously happen with that, including that are things, you know, like injuries, like this is the first year really for the Wildcats where managers really picked up injuries that kept them out for any stretch of games. It's not usually, a, it, that's, it's never a bad sign straight away, but it's one of those kind of pointers for, you know. It comes off a page, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's one of the things where if, if you're playing, if you look at, um, for example, the NHL, when you see players who are getting older a bit, they tend to miss a few games. They tend to pick up these nagging injuries. Um Hockey players obviously, particularly you don't want injuries to things like your knees or your shoulder or your wrist. I know Malash had at least one of those this year, which is never a good thing. Because, and again, as you get older, it takes you longer to heal from these things. It takes you longer to get back to 100%. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what Malash does next year. The first year, obviously, will be the key part of it. If there is, you know, a massive, like I said, fall off a cliff, then the second year looks bad. As long as he can still stay being Thomas Malasinski for the first, you know, two years of it, preferably, then we're laughing in gold. It depends, obviously, as well, how many games there are. I believe it's going back to 54 next year. I don't think off the top of my head, Malas has had a year where he scored less than 70 points in 54 games. If he's still above that, then, again, you're laughing. And as Tom said, his game has changed. When he first came over, it was primarily as a, we needed him to be that first-line sniper. Now he's moved into more of a two-way game. He's adapted to almost taking over from where Jan Kossel and Max Burbrea were and playing that defensive role as well as putting up points. And he's adapted to it well. I would obviously like to see him score a few more goals, but then that's just me. And we've had a problem this year with putting the puck in the net at times, particularly, you know, in a playoff run where most of the points have come from the second line. Um yeah, it, he works well with Aaron. He's really taken over from that. Obviously, we remember the the fun we always had with the 1960-89 line, which was quite possibly my favourite line in Wildcat history. But then again, I can't talk much. I've only been a fan since the mid-2000s. Um, yeah, we need someone. He's the perfect fit. He's the perfect guy to build the team around the age. Yeah, obviously, the team as a whole will be getting older with the amount of re-signings we're bringing in. But it obviously helps knowing that you've got the majority of your team signed up when you have a new team in Bristol down the road, which is going to be recruiting out of the wazoo. I was going to say, that was, that's a, I think that's another reason why you get a guy like Malazinski, because if he wants to stay in Swindon and the Wildcats suddenly general and say, we don't want you next year, where's the first place he's calling? It's probably the new rival down the road. I was just telling about the imports and things like saying about the issues that Brexit caused. I do think that if teams are changing imports this year, we are going to see a lot more of them drop down from the Elite League because they're going to be here. They're going to have the visa. It will just be a case of transferring it to another team and sorting it out that way. So I would, I would, you, it would basically be trickling down. You would see, you could see imports come from, from the Elite League into the National League, vice versa. You could see them dropping from the National League back into North One, South One. 
it's going to be interesting because it's just it showed last summer it's not worth the hassle to bring a new guy into the country. I do, I, I do think that if teams do want to go out and bring, or do have to go out and bring new guys in because they haven't got the right guy who's already over here, they'll be more prepared this summer. I think teams will teams will make those dis- import just. I think traditionally, I mean, I'm not, I've never recruited a hockey team, but I can't. The impression I've always got is traditionally coaches tended to leave import slots until maybe they'd sign most of their Brits up, and you kind of know where you need the where you need the import slots to fill in your roster. Because obviously there's more of them. Um, there's more imports out there than there are Brits. I think this year potentially you might see that flipped on its head and you might see teams trying to make those import decisions earlier purely because they know how much of a faff it might be to get them in. And, you know, you want to make the decision, you want to get those contracts signed in kind of June rather than August and be trying to chase, your, chase visas for five months to get them over. I, I could be wrong and I... I apologise to anyone listening if I am. I think the process for clubs generally last year was kind of two-step. They had to apply with the government to be a effectively a an organisation capable of bringing in someone with a visa. Um, and I, I can I, I, I'll say it, and I hope that I'm not wrong. I think once that part of the process is done, that part of the process stays. I don't think that changes. So I do think there's guys like. You know, Swindon, Basingstoke, Peterborough, pretty much every team, they've gone out and got imports. They, they must have that part of it done, which probably will make the process next summer easier. That said, the world again is in a lot of more of a different place than it was a year ago. And who knows? I think who knows? Wherever, you sign an imp- wherever you sign an import from now, whether it's the Elite League and you get someone who's already in the UK, whether it's from abroad... I think you've got to be confident you've got the right player because we've seen you cannot make a change mid-season and if you do make a change mid-season, you're probably not bringing a replacement in because it takes X amount of time to get them over. Like the only imports we've had come in since the start of the season, not including guys like Sack and Martinek who were signed you know, early in the year and then um, just took a while to get over here. You had Pad- you know, Padlek Stepanek in Peterborough who was signed sometime after the start of the season and took a while to arrive. And also was low risk. And, and you had Andres Valdix, who was here. Adam Leishman as well. Adam Leishman's Leishman got a British passport, though, I believe, so he didn't have to have a visa. Throwing it out there, you also oh, forgot Vladimir Luka. Vladimir Luka. He, well. he lives here. Yeah, again, <laughs> again, that is the point. That guy who's over here. So, yeah. yeah. So, the only, guy, the only guy that's come in from the outside was Stepanek, who'd been here before, but didn't have a visa. Then you had... Sheffield were the only team who were able to really, and Telford were the only teams who were able to bring in guys mid-season, and they were bringing in imports who were already on. Oh, and obviously Tim Wallace is the other one, but again, he had a visa from Nottingham. Timothy, Timothy Wallace. So yeah, I think whatever. I think yeah, whatever happens with imports this summer, I think you've got to be right because it's not easy to, to go out and replace guys who don't pan out. I don't want to. I don't want to keep doing this, but I've just thought of another one as well, Tom, to add to your list of only says right, two right. or three. Who was the other one? Gates Galdick, but again, he was in. Yeah, the... yeah, yeah. Okay. Bit different. I guess he counts. Okay. I guess he counts. <laughs> um, Nicholas Ormarker. <laughs> no, no, Nicholas Ormarker. Nicholas Ormarker signed before the season. He was like the first import to sign. One of the first to go as well. Yeah. No. <laughs> 
unfortunately, Phil. Bees get a four-point weekend watching rock up in Coventry. <laughs> Just suddenly appear. My wrist is healed. <laughs> um, should we talk about GB now, then, having yeah. mentioned it? Yeah. Uh, I thought that looked about as good a roster as GB could have put out under the circumstances. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure everybody linked to British hockey would have loved Liam Kirk's ACL to suddenly become match fit again. Um, but for me, I think the only one that surprised me was the admission of Luke Ferrara. Yeah. Apart yeah, I think I mean I think that's that, quite I thought sense. that squad was pretty much what I'd have put down. Now I would probably I thought I think I read in there that Ollie Betteridge's uh, selection was depending on him becoming fit. I would be fairly confident if Ollie can't pass a fitness test, I know who I'd pick off the reserve list first. Um, but yeah, a slight surprise to see him not in there for sure. Yeah, especially, you know, he was the, I think, third top scoring British player, maybe in the Elite League this year. He had 48 points. In the regular season, I don't know the exact numbers off the top. Then your turn. My but turn. He had, he had pretty good numbers. Um, and with Kirk out, you know, you, you'd think potentially there was an opportunity for him to take more of a goal scoring role. Um, but equally, you know, Pete Russell has never been afraid to make that controversial selection or non selection. Look at when Kieran Long was the top point scorer in the Elite League and didn't make the roster. It's not going to be popular, and the fans are always going to have you know players they think should be in the team. And you can't. The simple answer is you can't fit every good British player in a twenty-five man roster. Ben. Uh, yeah. So Luke Ferrara was fifty-two games played, twenty-five goals, twenty-four assists for forty-nine points, yeah. uh, eighteen penalty minutes, and uh, interestingly, I don't know if this was part of it. it was a minus fourteen. Where did he rank among Brit forwards scoring? Uh, two seconds. Yeah, so like Pete Russell has never been afraid to make that kind of controversial non-selection. He very much picked a squad that fit his system. And to be fair to him, it's worked every year since he's been being head coach at the senior side. I don't think you can argue that you know we're we're, we're in the world group again. Okay, I know relegation wasn't there last year, but we would have survived anyway if it had been um we finished we didn't finish bottom of the pool again so yeah i don't think you can argue really argue, i don't think anyone any no fan is in a position to sit there and argue peach selection we can all sit there and say luke ferrara should be in the squad but i think there's compelling reasons why every forward isn't yes sorry ben um no yeah just to answer your question joe yeah he was third in gb and 20th in the league Third and GB, but we do also have to remember while we're talking about Brit scorers, he's the third in the elite league. You are adding Brett Perini and Mike Hammond, who are playing abroad and have been amongst GB's top scorers in recent years. So it's not like we're not bringing in guys who can score on this roster. And we have to, I feel like GB fans have the same argument about Robert Lakovitz every year. He's not a goal scorer, but he makes a team every year and he never lets the side down. I feel like Ferrara probably should be in the roster, but if they stay up, no one is really going to be arguing the selection. 
it's, it's, it's a tricky one. You can't fit every good player. I feel there's more, we're in a good position now where there's more than 25 good British players. Once upon a time, finding a 25-man roster was a chore. Um, in terms of numbers, Brett Polini is the third highest goal scorer in the Norwegian league. Yeah, and I think Mike Hammond has only been playing in the German third league this year, but I think he has something like stupid. I saw this elite prospect. He's got something like 90 points in 40 games or something. Yeah, so I'm just looking. Points. He is 90 in 49, 30 plus 60. Mike Hammond's been putting up points. Um, I mean, I feel like the other surprise selection, but the good surprise selection perhaps, is the addition or addition of Cade Nielsen and Josh Waller. We've been saying for years the GB squad is getting old. You need to at some point expose these young players because otherwise you're going to be bringing a lot of young guys into the team at the same time who've never played at a world championship because you could lose a bunch of guys to retirement in kind of around the same around the same year. We saw the breakout of Josh, Te- Josh Tetlow as an international player last year. We saw the breakout out to a slightly lesser extent, he didn't get quite as many games as Sam Jones as an international player last year on D. Now it's an opportunity for Wallow and Nielsen to come in and maybe push some of the more senior Brits up front. Yeah, um, it's an interesting squad. Joe, your thoughts? I don't really know what oh, else. I was hoping I'd get away with that. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I, I can't be the one who always has to take the controversial topics and run with them. I feel like it's just me. I feel like I'm the one who gets, gets moaned out all the time. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll save you for this one. Honestly, I could not care. I mean, that's also true. On, on this, honestly, I could not give a monkeys about who was in the GB team. It is a... I haven't watched a single GB game since... We went to that Poland friendly, what, five years ago, six years ago now, something like that. It's just the train station really was bad, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, no, it was great. I didn't get home until five in the morning. Um, yeah, I looked at the roster, and yeah, it's probably the best we can do. But the problem with the GB team is it's just a style of hockey that doesn't appeal to me. I don't, I, everyone else can look at, you know, oh, GB versus the USA or GBV Canada and think, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'll sit down and watch it. But for me, it's like, why am I going to watch 60 minutes of park the bus and have four shots of hockey? It's, that's not entertaining. You just watch your team get battered for eight or seven or however many games it is in the World Championships top division now. And yeah, obviously... They've done all right in the last few years. They would have survived relegation last year. The France game, obviously, the way that ended will live on in British hockey infamy kind of thing. But I'm just, I just don't want to watch it. I don't want to give up three hours of my day to watch that. Um, I'm, I'm a Rangers fan. I've watched rubbish ice hockey and this ain't good. Like, I, there's no, if, if Liam Kirk's not there, I'm not interested. Liam Kirk's the best thing we've got nowadays. And with him being injured, it's just going to be dump and chase hockey. And I've done my time watching that. I want fun. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we have to, I think, mean, if we're brutally honest, the squad isn't a Div 1. It's the best. It's the best we can do because the best we can do is mediocre. We're in a division. Let's be honest. We're in a division that, on paper, we shouldn't be in. Particularly when you take a guy like Kirk out of the squad. Let's not forget, Kirk 
you know, we, we shouldn't be in that division with the Ross we have. We're in that division with the Ross we have because they do more. Full of Americans. They, well, it's not, even, it's not even that. Like they do, they do more with the Ross with what we've got in that twenty-five than they should do, and I'm sure they'll give it everything to do it again this time. But yeah, there's. I think for me, the thing with GB is it feels like we do have more good British players now. I don't think we're never gonna. We're never going to be. A but we could. We could, though. We could have more. We could be a top-tier team if we actually wanted to. But the problem is the people in charge of the sport in this country don't. They're quite happy with the status quo of how the elite league is and why the big teams are the big teams. They're not interested in making the sport better over here. None of them are. None of them ever will be. Yeah, yeah. You look at the Tony Smith quote from the start of the year. It's like, well, if people want Brits, then they'll have to pay for the money for it. Let's 14 imports. Let's only have five Brits. We're the only league on planet Earth that actually thinks the players in their own country aren't good enough or can't be made better. So why should I care about the GB ice hockey team when it doesn't care about GB ice hockey? Well, I care about the GB ice hockey team because I'm not the elite league. At the end of the day, I care about the GBI so team because I do care about British players. Just because Tony Smith doesn't care about British players doesn't mean I could, I don't. Like at the end of the day, Tony Smith has a perfect opinion on hockey, and he wants a product in Sheffield, and that's all he's interested in, and that's fine. That's up to him. It's I'm interested in the development of British players, and to be fair, I feel like the team we've got now, the Brits we've got now, and I'm not talking about you know not just talking about guys like Mike Hammond who are Canadian passports and that sort of Ben, thing. stop hiding. That's another that's another debate for another day. And personally, I don't have an issue with guys like that in the team. But the Brits we've got, you know, you've got some really good young players coming through and hopefully will be coming through for the next few years. And just because the elite league is rubbish at looking after them and doing a rubbish job of developing them doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that for me, British players aren't good enough. I mean, they're not, they're, 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 I'll, I'll rephrase that. British players are not going to go out there and suddenly beat Canada at this year's IHF World Championships. They're not going to beat Russia or whoever is in our group, Finland. But it's going to be, yeah, like I say, I, I still want Britain to be as good as they can be. And if the elite league aren't interested, that's on them. But the players, you know, the players are plenty of good young players coming through. And forgive me for sounding like Anchorman, but boy, that escalated quickly. <laughs> no, uh, I think... I think we could talk for hours and maybe maybe some point over the summer we have that proper episode where we really dig into that topic because there's talking points on both sides and you in a, in a roundabout way you're both right um but we could sit here for hours and hours talking about that subject and maybe it's something we do with we get a couple of other people involved as well because like I said, that is a topic which covers all of hockey in the UK. But let's let's leave that one for the summer. Anything else? Uh, obviously, we're not the only playoff league that's going on at the moment. Uh, the North 2 playoffs were won by the Hull Jets at the weekend, beating the Telford Tigers 2-1 in the playoff final and witness on Sunday. The Guildford Phoenix beat the Haringey Huskies in Bristol in the South 2 playoff final in an equally close South 2 final, which finished... Guildford 10, Haringey 0. Uh, this weekend coming up, you have the North 1 and South 1 playoffs. North 1 is Solway versus Billingham. And 
Whitley versus Sully Hull. South one is Streatham versus the Romford Junior Raiders. We don't talk about that one. Uh, and the Bristol Pitbulls versus the Chelmsford Chieftains. The North one is in Leeds. The South one is in Milton Keynes. Semi-finals on a Saturday, finals are on a Sunday, face-offs 4.30 and 7.30 on Saturday, and the finals are on Sunday on 5.30. And don't forget, Solway v Streatham is your ma- your Sunday matinee in Coventry in a fortnight's time as the North One champions take on the South One champions. Please, EIHA, if you're listening, I'd like a day ticket for the Sunday, please. I can't make the Saturday. There we go. Uh, I mean... I, I, day tickets are available, aren't they? I believe. I'm sure I saw. I'm sure I saw no, someone. The day, day tickets are on sale for the North One South one at the moment. They're not putting National League ones on sale yet. I believe. Uh, like they, like, that's Hopefully, they'll be less than fifty-five pound, like they are in Nottingham sure saw, that weekend. I'm sure I saw someone. I'm sorry, we, sh- we should have this conversation off camera, but I'm sure I saw something from Streatham to say they were going on sale and they're going to be twenty-five pounds for the Sunday. That's just been put on for Solway and Streatham because obviously they are there on the Sunday. Yet there is no public one at the moment. That being said, if you're going to the South One playoffs, good luck. I know who the referees are. Have fun. You could be there all night. And that's a conversation for off the air. Um, I guess in that case then. Hmm. But the good news about this is there's not that many weeks of it left. So, Tom. Your moment, time yeah. to shine. Yeah. Um, so Saturday we are in Basingstoke. Six thirty face off at Planet Ice. Obviously, no stream from Basingstoke because, frankly, it's wonky. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be able to, There's nowhere to put a camera. Um, yeah, six thirty face off, and there really aren't many tickets left for sale in the away end. But you know, please do come if you're a Wildcats fan. They may. They may not need your. They may not need your support. They may well, very well do, depending on what happens on Friday night, and then the final Wildcats home game of the season, a six thirty face off at the link on Sunday night. Um, streams tickets as usual available. Um, I mean, it will be all eyes on Basingstoke on Saturday because we are the only game, as all the other games for the playoffs are on Friday night. Thanks, uh, finals weekends. Ah. Mm. Uh, I have re- realised there's one thing I've not spoken about. I'm going to mention... Uh-oh. No, no, no. I'm going to mention it on the back of what Tom's just said, but we can talk about it in much more detail next week. The other thing, obviously, to remember about Sunday is it, regardless of what happens, will be the final time Mr. Neil Lydiard plays ice hockey competitively in Swindon. And that is going to be... I've spoken to him about this a couple of times. It's going to be emotional for him, and it's going to be a really weird thing to be celebrating because quite frankly he's been playing every year since i was born um <laughs> yeah yeah so we'll talk in more detail about that one next week after said event i'm not sure if that's a sign of how long his career has been or how old you really are <laughs> yeah no i do you know what i i really can't decide and i've thought about it a few times over myself the last few days um but yeah if it's the last chance you're going to get to see him in competitive action in Swindon, regardless if we make it to Coventry or not. Um, so get a ticket and, and come down to see him on his home pad for the the final time. But we'll talk about that in more detail next week. But apart from that, I think there's everything. The silence and the nodding is telling me so. So, boys, thank you once again. Uh, we'll see you next week for episode 49.